And now, <laughs> Sports and Spit, episode 41, with Streety, <laughs> Macca and Nugget. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So, obviously, if you yeah. are a sporting fan of any creed uh, from anywhere in the world, you will obviously know what we're going to be talking about tonight, uh, and that is... Um, in a world of no sport, maybe the biggest sporting event that's happened in a long, long time occurred this week. Guard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That is the uh, airing of The Last Dance, the 10-part doco series about Michael Jordan and his tenure with the Chicago Bulls, particularly that last season. Last Dance. That's it. What did you so think? So just on that, yeah, well, what I was going to say is... Um, uh, Nugget, your microphone's off, and he's frozen on the screen. Um, uh, so, Streety, sorry, you, you had a question for us, mate, about how we felt about that intro. Yeah, I was just going to say, when you hear that that, that song, uh, Serious, um, and the artist is the Alan Parsons Project, and interestingly enough, that album came out in 1979, so it's been around for a good 40-plus years, um, but that song arguably became known for its... Um, for, for the Chicago Bulls intro song, but when you hear that, what sort of you know, what kind of emotions or feelings does that elicit, or what does that remind you of, mate? That is nostalgia one hundred and one for me. That is that is basically me and my mates that I grew up with darkening my garage and running out onto my top of my driveway basketball court, pretending like I was in the starting five for the Chicago Bulls, high-fiving people as we came out of the garage door, ready to play for the Chicago Bulls. So that that takes me right back, mate, to where it all started, where I thought I had maybe enough talent to actually get a chance to run out to that song myself. Yeah, exactly. I think for me that epitomises growing up as a, a teen um, in, in the 90s, um, 97, 98, I was getting close to 18 years old. So you know, I was probably at the at the peak of my young basketball sort of fandom. Um, so yeah, that that definitely that tune for me absolutely uh, you know um, is representation uh, of that time of my life um, and a lot of other basketball fans, no doubt. Nugget, what about yourself? Yeah, that was me, for me the transition from uh, Tina Turner, simply the best. Uh, going going from Tina Turner, being pumped up, being Mark Sargent, running out onto the IC, to yeah. then now being uh, just backboard tapping the hell out of it, and just, <laughs> just just going at it, going at it. That that Perspex didn't know what hit it. That song as as an intro, and and you mentioned Tina Turner's "Simply the Best." Those are two theme songs for my childhood sporting dreams. The other one is Queen's. We will rock you, and yes. we are the champions, right? Yeah. I don't know how many times I put we are the champions after winning the fake championship of anything. Would <laughs> <laughs> so. be fair to say those four songs are the grand slam uh, of sporting songs. Oh, from an inspirational perspective, or what they, you know, what you pretended to be happening in, like yeah, fantasy wise, mate. For me, that you'd be hard pressed to go and find a better, a better one. Yeah, actually, it kind of would be a pretty cool list to compile that the top ten sporting songs would gee you up. You'd have to have either Tiger in there as a maybe as your fifth, you know, um, song to to round out yeah. a starting five. But but yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that song absolutely epitomises nineties basketball. And you know, I think as much as people growing up, you know, went for different teams, everybody in in some facet was a Michael Jordan fan. I mean. I know that when I was sort of, you know, watching those those Bulls runs, you know, the first one and, and then the second one, I was a little bit older. Um, you know, whilst I wasn't a, a Bulls fan per se, um, you always in the back of your mind you knew that Jordan wasn't going to lose. He was always going to win. Mm. And you kind of thought, well, this, this guy's kind of like God uh, to, you know, um, a lot of people back then. And you, and, and you didn't want him to lose. Um, thankfully, he, he, he never did. No, until he played for the Wizards. And then, <laughs> and then, but for the Bulls, he never lost. Well, I mean, they're not making a documentary series about his tenure with the Wizards because that was probably a part of history well, no one would, would rather recall. What would you call that? 
like the morning after the last dance. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that is? Is that the morning after pill? <laughs> uh, I think it's like you the walk of shame. You date your dream girl for you know forever, and you, and you think this is this is going to be it, and then it just ends all of a sudden, and then and then you like and you go away, then you come back, and then you just hook up with some random town <laughs> hag, and you're just like, oh my god, what have I done there? Yeah, I feel like probably about halfway through an 82 game season with the Washington Wizards, that's probably exactly what Jordan felt like when he's walking into the locker room, and Kwame Brown had been turning over the ball on fast breaks all day, and you're going. <laughs> Fuck! What have I done? Like, why yeah, exactly. am I here? So, yeah. Uh, so, interestingly, this series was brought forward. It was due to air in uh, the American summer, um, coinciding with the NBA finals. Um, yeah. They realised there was going to be no summer, so fucking. Okay, so well. there was there was there was a gaping hole in um, in programming, and you know, a lot of people were like, "Well, let's get this thing going," and then uh, Jordan agreed to to let it go early, and then. Uh, the relevant parties made it happen. Um, upon seeing the first two episodes, um, we obviously were all looking forward to this. Um, what were your uh, impressions of it? Um, I largely, I so my very first impression when I watched it today was that a lot of like there was a lot of flashbacks and it focused a lot. The first, certainly the first episode was just a love fest for Jordan, right? Like there was nothing balanced about it. It was a true documentary in the sense of it just presented one side, which was a, of Jordan as this almighty deity of a, of a godlike figure, which I, you know, like I, you know, I get it. I mean, my life, he was, he was the hero, right? But, you know, right. there was a lot, a lot of flashbacks to exactly how good he was early. And it does paint, it gives you that typical documentary picture of, the common enemy or the bad guy, and that's Jerry Krause, right? So, um, yeah. Well, I mean, just on that. To be fair, growing up as kids, all we ever saw was the romanticised view of Jordan, anyway, because yeah. you know the media and, and the way things were, um, uh, you know, broadcast, so to speak. Um, it was very controlled in the sense that there was no social media, there was no other narratives that you, that you could dive into to read about Jordan. It was only really what was fed to you. Uh, via a newspaper article, NBA action on a Saturday morning, or or maybe you know the one hour game that you get on on, on Channel Ten on a Saturday. But that's um, also, that's the image that Jordan. That was the only image Jordan let you see, right? Like he worked course. extremely hard to protect his image and reputation, and and he even does it in the first episode of that documentary where he starts to say, "Oh yeah, when I first came to the league, mate, everybody else was a womanizing drug addict, but not me, man. I just wanted to play ball, you know." Like, and you're like, come on, dude. Like, everyone's read the stories about how much of an asshole, like, you know, in terms of like his gambling addict and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like, come on. But I suppose, I mean, he probably wasn't like that, like that as a rookie. He would have definitely come in a little bit green. And, you know, I guess he had some exposure playing at that college level, uh, winning the championship and going back after the, they won as a freshman. But, um, you know, coming into that 1985 sort of season, you know, and the NBA was uh, riddled with cocaine and drug use. Mm. Um, I guess he, he did walk into a world that he was like, holy shit, this is this is more than just basketball. And, you know, as he said, you know, I made a choice to get out of there. Whether or not we actually believe that to be, to be <laughs> yeah. gospel is a different matter. Um, but from then, you know, like I guess the early foundations were laid for, for where he decided to, to take things. Yeah. What do you think, Nug? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, I loved it. And you're spot on as far as we saw and have grown up with just that one image that we have. I mean, how many people came out, I don't know if it was first or second episode, about how he had 63 in Boston Garden and so many people came out and sort of said, yeah, we didn't realise he lost that game and they actually actually got swept. But that's where whatever it was on Michael Jordan's playground or any of those videos, that's yeah. where it stopped. It was how good was this? It just shows him crossing up Larry Bird and then yeah. taking yeah, down that's the right. oh. and, and that year too, like they were dog shit. Like, yeah. like without him as well because he didn't it's, play 63 games. But. And scraped into the, final, into the playoffs, yeah. yeah you know? and, and Against yeah. the team's wishes. I mean, that the team, if, if they had their way, um, would have, you know, kept Jordan out. But Jordan was dogged in coming back. They didn't want to win games. They wanted to, you know, lose, miss the playoffs, get the draft pick because 
the lottery at that point in time was only seven teams. And they all had equal odds. So, yeah. um, you know, they they had a one in seven chance of getting a number one pick, um, you know, likely top three. So, you know, that could have changed the course of the Bulls' history, you know, um, had they not have made the first round of playoffs and got swept by what many argue that 86 Celtics team is, is one of the best teams ever, if not the best team ever. Yeah, that would have been pretty close. They were pretty stacked, that Celtics team. Indeed I mean, they were. The, uh, the other thing that I'm, I, I guess I picked up around this common enemy thing that I mentioned that's presented in this documentary is is the, the players' hatred of Jerry Krauss, right? And, and no, I don't think there's a book or a documentary that's been released so far about the Bulls that I haven't picked up. I've read all the players' books that I could get my hands on because I was fascinated by that story, right, like back then. Not, mm. not just the Bulls as a, as, a, as a team and as a phenomenon. And the thing that's not really presented in that documentary, I didn't think, was how big an arsehole Jerry Reinsdorf was. Like Jerry Krauss is made out to be, he was the guy who copped it off the players and, and you know, and there's, like obviously they're leading into the drama with Scotty Pippen and all that sort of stuff um, between him and Krauss. Mate, Reinsdorf was a bigger arsehole than he was, the owner of the team. Like, yeah, he was right. the one that said to Pippen, mate, you negotiated that deal, dude, bad luck. Like don't come back. He was, his door was, once you negotiated a deal, mate, his door was closed. That was just the way he operated. And, and he and he sort of laid it out there as well, didn't he? In in that he'd said, "I told him not to sign that contract," which yeah, and he, sort of felt he felt, "I've got the right now to say to you, I told you not to sign this. You did get yeah, out." Yeah, exactly. And he never gave an inch, right? Like, and I mean, I do wonder how disingenuous that that comment was, though, because as an owner, knowing Pippen's worth and and him signing that deal, you think, "Man, I've got this guy on a on, on, a, on a pretty good on a steal, basically." Yeah, I feel like if he'd asked Scotty Pippen if he remembered when Jerry Reinsdorf said to him, "Don't sign the deal," don't sign it. Yeah, mate, I don't. I don't really recall that, but you know, like I mean, mind, mind you, after seeing his background there, to seventeen million dollars—that's yeah. a lot of, lot of chewing tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of chewing tobacco. Yeah, and you know, I like, uh, I you know, I look, Scotty Pippen, they make it out as if, you know, that's a fair injustice. And, you know, look, at the time he was extremely underpaid. But over the course of his career, he's done okay. I'm not going to feel too sorry for him. Well, I mean, you know, we're probably skipping ahead a little bit here, but um, Pippen's ex-wife, the day after the documentary aired, uh, released a tweet just to say, hey, you know, Scotty did all right. You know, he earned $109 million over his career and, in fact, actually earned more playing money than Jordan um, from from actual yeah. contracts, mm. um, yeah. but it was, it was kind of like from from the get go when when Krauss started building that that squad, uh, you know, the first iteration of that three beat. It was almost like a uh, it was eight nine year bad marriage, you know, that the, the grumbled and they had little bickers and fights that uh, you know stuff simmered behind the scenes forever, but they just did just enough to tolerate each other because things were you know good most of the time. Um, in, in terms of winning games, and that probably, you know, heals a lot of things, masks a lot of things. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely interesting to sort of learn about the uh, the constant badgering, bickering and snide comments directed at, uh, at Krauss. Mm. Yeah, that was interesting. And uh, I think, as I said, the documentary paints a bit of a one-sided picture that that was the only conflict that was there, that everything else was really harmonious on the team. But that also wasn't the case. And now I don't know whether the rest of the – eight episodes or whatever are going to show a little bit more about that, mate. But there was a lot of disharmony in that team. They were a fantastic team on the court, mate, but you don't have you don't have a fully functioning team with Dennis Rodman in it the whole time. Like, <laughs> mate, yeah. like that guy, like, you know, and, and even Jordan and Pippen, you know, they didn't see eye to eye the whole time. And I can tell you that Phil Jackson has, you know, they didn't get along, he and Jordan, all the time either, right? So... Exactly. I mean, I, I, I'd be hesitant to say that any team across any professional sport that's been successful hasn't had their behind-the-scenes dramas. It happened with the Warriors. It, it happens with with every single team. Kobe and Shaq, they they, they won, you know, the three peep, but they end up hating each other at the end of it. So you know, like a lot of these guys can put that to the side. Once they cross the lines and step on the court, it's it's all business behind the scenes. And then you know, all the the human things start to come into it. Um, yeah. Do you, do you yeah. think that the um, that the that the episode two probably? Uh, do you think they did, they did a good job of making everybody 
feel sorry for Scotty Pippen? Do you think that was their intention? Yeah, absolutely. That's as I said, that's the blueprint for a documentary, right? Like yeah. you've got to have a victim, you've got to have a bully or an enemy, and there's a bit of a mix on maybe people might think Jordan and Pippen are the are the bullies, but Jerry Krause was painted as the disgruntled person that was behind this rift in the team, you know? Yeah. That was the whole that was the whole and is it is it bad on me that um, uh, I'm on Krause's side? You and old mate, you, you signed the contract, Scotty. Unlucky. Yeah, um, it's a tough one. Um, I did find it interesting that uh, during a number of um, you know shows that I've heard post, and I tried to limit to what I listened to after the the reviews um, is. Probably the best description I heard of Kraus was that he had a pretty major Napoleon complex, it's that little man syndrome, and he, he just really struggled with, you know, he's kind of like, I built this, you know, I put all this together, I'm not, I'm not getting the credit I deserve, and I can take all my toys and I can go home. So, you know, I built it, I can just as easily tear it down. Uh, and I think that's, that, that, that's where a lot of that, um, that animosity brewed from. Uh, but Jordan also had a point, you know, he, he kind of came out and, and said in a press conference after they won the 97-98, uh, coming out and saying that, um, you know, he uh, it, the players should have the right to defend um, what they've got in, until it gets taken from them, um, you know, almost putting in a plea to uh, why do we have to, to break this up? Um, mm, which, yeah. Which, I mean, for Krauss to come out, like that's, well, ballsy, might be but- People might call it stupid, but for him to come out after winning three in a row and then they're on their second, they haven't won the three-peat yet, but to go, righto, we're breaking this up, like that's a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, interesting. Um, it's funny. One, my I think my favourite line from, from the entire um, documentary uh, was just on, on Jordan's sort of constant badgering of Krauss was when, they, they come back or they're in the tunnels. I think they're still in Paris and uh, just, just before the game and Krauss walks by Jordan and Jordan says, turns around and says, oh, you know, do you want to join the layup line? You know, we'll have to lower the rims for you and just <laughs> sort of snide comment, you know. And I'm, I'm sure there would have been, you know, a hell of a lot more that we haven't yet to see. But I agree with you, Maka, just in the format that this thing's made. Um, there's obviously a storytelling component to it um, and, and all we ever know, of Jordan basically is the romanticized view of what we've been allowed to see. Um, <coughs> so I, I'm probably, you know, obviously like, like any good storyteller, you have your establishing shots, you know, scenes, you know, um, audio bites here and there. Uh, but I, I kind of think from, you know, the rest of the season, you know, from three, three to 10, uh, we're going to get a lot of sort of juice that uh, we haven't really seen. Do you feel like they'll be a picture of Jordan? Like a balanced picture, you know one. You know one question I would ask you boys: Does anyone think Jordan must just basically be smoking weed cigars? His eyes are so <laughs> bloodshot. Like his eyes are about as bloodshot as Scotty Pippen's teeth are now white. Like yes. that was my <laughs> two main conclusions from that document. I was like, what did Scotty do? Go and dip his teeth in a bit of ceiling white paint for the, before the show? Like, I mean, Scotty's uh, he's an, he's an ESPN regular now, so. Much like all the uh, retired NRL players, they visit the equivalent of the Channel Nine dentist, the ESPN dentist, and have have their teeth done. But I'm with you. Like I'm like, what the hell is up with Jordan's eyes? <laughs> just, uh, he looks smashed out of his head all the time. He looks sick. Like yeah, he does, eh? like a bit. But then you sort of look at that, and then as the show went on, and I think it was number two episode, they showed him there, and he's got this massive thing of I don't know if it's scotch. Yeah, and a, and a big old cigar. Now yeah, that's, right. that's all. The, I'm yeah. like, mm, that's a bit bloodshot there. Yeah, I don't know what's in that cigar, mate. I'm not real sure. I think maybe he's just he's got a couple of aches and pains of playing the game so hard. And he's most just, um, obviously a lot of things with this are pretty planned. Um, did you read much into him wearing a navy blue or royal blue shirt? Oh, not really. Did did not even notice. Yeah. <laughs> I tend to notice stuff like that. I'm not quite sure of the meaning, but there's obviously the intention behind it. Um, you know, one would think he might be wearing red, um, but um, 
yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll look into that more and, and see if there's anything behind the choice of colour. I thought you had an actual story then. <laughs> yeah, so did I. <laughs> what are you talking about? You don't know what, why he was wearing a blue shirt, but you just uh, think of the reason. Is that what yeah, you just said? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, that's right. I don't know why he's wearing a blue shirt, but obviously there, there was a reason behind wearing a blue shirt. That's what I want hey, to find You don't know out. what the reason is and you're not going like, to enlighten us. <laughs> well, I have nothing to enlighten you yet, but what? I shall make it my mission to find out. Maybe, maybe, maybe it might develop on. It's like he's going back and like that was his Carolina. Yeah, maybe. Carolina blue yeah, and just, later on will come in the, the red and the whites. Is it a different shade of blue? Yeah. I was waiting for the story of why fucking was wearing blue. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you guys may have had some insight, but we obviously think along different lines. Well, I'll go Carolina. Yep. Yeah, nah, go. I'll go because it was, I don't know, mate. I've got nothing. I want to wait for your story. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just look better on camera. Who knows? No, no, no. Anyway, uh, that's funny. Yeah. Anyway, so I look, I I really enjoyed it. I mean, like the good part was is that, you know, it, even are you talking about nostalgia, that song that you played before we started, Streety? Watching some of those that old footage and seeing that took me way back to the days of like basketball, like me collecting basketball cards and you know like the very first Jordan single that I ever got, which was a present from my grandma. She yeah. came from the states and you know I think it was actually even a like I, I don't even know. Yeah, it was a twenty three jersey, but then I ended up getting a forty five as well when he went to forty five after he's um, after he came back from baseball for a while. Yeah, it would have been a, would have been a good one to hold on to. Um, was there anything that you saw over the first two episodes that uh, that you didn't know, or that that was the first time you heard of that? Uh, I guess, I, like, I probably would say, I didn't. I I probably didn't remember that Pippin had had kind of. I remember that he'd sat out part of that 97, like that 97, that last championship series. Yep. But I didn't realise that he had deliberately held off um, getting the foot surgery until the, right before the season started. And he admitted in that, in that doco. That that's he didn't want to fuck his summer up. He didn't want to fuck his summer up, right? So that was absolutely new. I hadn't heard that before, right? And I, and I was like, fuck, that's cold, man. Like, you know, and that was part of what I think I was saying when I dropped out was I fucking hated him for that. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. He even he he called it. He said it was. Uh, he said yes. Scotty was wrong to do that. He, he made the wrong wrong call there. I I had totally forgotten about the uh, the trade demand um, that Pippen mm. made when uh, the Bulls yeah. were due to play mm. Seattle and Pippen was still out. Mm. And, um, Pippen makes the trade demand based, uh, and, and that was after a spat with Jerry Krause on the bus where Phil Jackson had to tell him, "Say, listen, this is getting too much. You know, yeah. you just just pu- pull back a bit." And then he goes. No, nah, fuck it, I'm out. Um, and and issued a trade demand, and then um, yeah. yeah, you know, do you think that in in this day and age, if that '97 '98 Bulls team, you know, was was playing now, um, Pippen wouldn't have lasted three days after that trade request. Now, he wouldn't have been allowed back to the team, and that they would have got rid of him just because the the the, the intense social media commentary. You know, constant stories would have just driven everyone to the point. Was like, screw this, let's just get it done. Yeah, I think he probably it wouldn't have got to a point where he would have publicly said, "I want to trade." It would have been whispers already in the background. Yeah, and they would have just announced it. Gone. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what you're saying there in terms of sorry to go back, but yes, things you didn't know, and maybe it was just I was more interested in games and. Back off, but see, I didn't even know that they were split up before that season. Oh, not split up, but as in Phil Jackson was told, "Your last, that's it. This is your last contract." Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know he was told before the season started. I thought it was, you know, during that you're not going to get renewed. I thought, yeah, I didn't know that, but it was yeah. not before it. So yeah, yeah. Phil had released the the playbook for the year or whatever with the last, yeah, the last dance. Yeah, yeah. Jerry Krause is definitely painted as the bad guy in this, and he's passed away, so he's not really here to defend himself um, in any sort of interview or anything like that. But, you know, even though he may have had this Napoleon complex and, you know, was a bit of a dick, um, or, you know, the, the, that's the how he's portrayed to us as a viewer. Um, but in terms of the job he did, 
he did a pretty exceptional job in terms of making the moves and, and trading guys away and, and getting the right pieces and you know, identifying talent you know, in order to, to trade up uh, with the Sonics for the fifth pick to get Pippen, who you know, started out his college career as a walk-on uh, at, an, at an NAIA school, which you know, oh, yeah. in this day and age is, is, is basically doesn't happen. Um, you know, yeah. And he made the moves for Horace Green. He traded away Jordan's good mate, Charles Oakley, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> See, people, like what he's being portrayed as here as, as a guy who wanted to break up the team because he was jealous of their success. Kraus was a guy who just was never afraid to make the tough decision, right? Like, so, you know, like you said, trading away Charles Oakley, who was Jordan's bodyguard for like his first couple of years in the league. And, you know, Jordan did not like that at all. And, um, and, but the thing was, was that Kraus had made some tough decisions to get them the team that won them the six championships, you know, and, and he is quoted it like, you know, they go with the big headline quote of, that Krauss had said that organisations win championships, not players. And Krauss himself said, well, that was, that's not actually what I said. The reporter left something quite critical out. So, yeah. you know, like, uh, and I think we all know that reporting, there's not a whole lot of quality assurance in it. So, <laughs> No, you're right. Exactly. Um, Anyone know any stories about a blue shirt? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very powerful colour, blue. It is. <laughs> I was also, do you know what actually I was also surprised at? Um, was probably a little bit of like history, Jordan's injury, right? So that was a pretty infamous part of his second season where he missed 63 games. I didn't realise um, that he, I knew he had gone away to North Carolina to rehab the injury. I didn't realise that was without virtually the team's knowledge of what was happening. I didn't realise that he got himself back on the court and built himself back up to playing five on five without their knowledge. But that yeah. probably goes to show you exactly how much of a cowboy probably league it was back then. You know, it wasn't exactly. as professional as you think it is. Oh, well, and the fact that the doctors, the way they worked it out was the calf that he injured was stronger than his non-calf. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no way that you could have that now. Like, imagine if Jordan just walks on a campus and starts getting in five-on-five <laughs> scrimmages with the North Carolina team. Everyone yeah. from the whole school have their phones out and, you yeah. know, so that, that that wouldn't happen. Um, what I found interesting, which, um, you know, there's obviously pushback. Management didn't want Jordan to play. Obviously, they had the the, the minute um, the, the draft pick in, uh, in mind. Um, but, but Like, he's allowed to play 14 minutes a game. What, like, so at the 15th minute, he was at some sort of more of a risk of getting hurt. Like, I don't know. Well, it, it, it's, the, it's the same situation that played out with Kevin Durant when he did his Achilles. So that, that, that kind of was, was that theory put into practice. What I didn't realise was they actually were, were were placing minutes restrictions on players back in 1986. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely one thing, you know. So, you know, you could make an argument those guys were maybe ahead of their time a little bit with um, with limiting. But, yeah, how they come up with a number of 14 minutes um, is a bit odd. Um, and, and as soon as they make the playoffs, then all those minute restrictions are lifted. And then he goes on to score 110 points across two games against the Celtics, which they end up getting beat. So, you know, you've got to ask yourself the question, was all that for? You know, we, we obviously, you know, the 63-point game is in basketball folklore now. Um, and, you know, looking back, um, had management had their way, we never would have had that moment. That's That 63-point game is one of the better Jordan stories, right? And we were saying before this that you – that part of what we didn't see, or maybe you mentioned it earlier, no, part of what you didn't see was was that the Bulls lost that game, right? Yeah. Like he scores 63 points, but the they Bulls got, lost that game and got swept, got swept in that series. Yeah. <laughs> right. and, and so, you know, you, you, that romanticised picture that you see is obviously that Jordan carried the Bulls, but, well, he didn't carry him to a win in that particular circumstance. Yeah, that's right. And what about yeah. – so, so that's one story, right? And there was a few stories presented – in those first two episodes, and I'm sure there's going to be a whole heap more of the legendary folklore stories that you just kind of mentioned, Streety. What's one of the stories that you boys hope is actually presented in the next eight episodes? So we have had an internal debate amongst our group of friends for many, many years um, as to who is the GOAT. We have some some friends that are 
have strong personalities, probably myself included, who like to take opposing sides of the argument. Um, I've I've never doubted that that Jordan is the greatest player. Um, do I think he's the most talented player ever? Probably not. Um, does he have the greatest design will to win? Yes. Uh, and there was one point in that doco that I'll, I'll get to shortly, which kind of re- reaffirmed that, which I think sets me apart from his closest rival. Um, and Tim Duncan, Will Chamberlain. <laughs> no. Um, I just lost my train of thought now, boys. You, you <laughs> right there. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What do I hope to see? I kind of hope to see uh, a point of view or footage of Jordan to show that he's just like any other narcissistic, high-level, um, me attitude, <laughs> me first, elite athlete. Because you have to have it. You have to have part of that. That has to, that has to be part of your makeup in order to be at that level. Do you think you started to see hints of it in the first and like that? Probably that second episode where Scotty Pippen was sitting out and Jordan was starting to get the shits with the players at practice and he's starting to get on Ron Harper and, you know, and and a couple of the others. Like that kind of, you know, that to me. Yeah, I mean, there's also similar footage of Kobe Bryant doing the same thing, you know, and a lot of people argue Kobe basically was a walking emulation of MJ. But, I mean, I think it's always good to see that side of things, just to go, hey, this guy's a human. And throughout that that, that doco, there was, there was press conferences of him in interviews saying, we need Scotty. I need Scotty. I can't do this without Scotty. Yeah. So there's an element of Jordan that's out there that he was invincible um, and that he could do it all, all on his own. But the, the fact is that he couldn't. I think some of that's lost um, amongst because the legend grows and obviously the legend grows and all the rest of it falls by the wayside. But so it's, it's, it's as a basketball fan, um, it, for me personally, I, I like to see a bit more of the person behind the legend. Yeah. What do you what do you think, Nug? Is there something? Oh, 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 I, I, I can't wait for the episode three when because uh, they, they've showed some it's, uh, highlights and so on, and they say uh, they must be a basket case because Phil Jackson's going. It was Rodman who kept us all together when Scotty <laughs> was out. I was thinking. Dennis is the your shining light. Wow. Dennis, Dennis is the one that is actually helping all of you out. I don't know about that. That's and, crazy. Was that the year he married himself? Yeah. He married as well? I wouldn't mind seeing a couple of good Dennis stories. Like he was always good for a couple, but it'd be well, nice. There's one, there's one coming up that's when yeah. apparently Jordan goes and gets him from Vegas. So. Oh, right. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, goes I mean, and gets him. I bet fucking Jordan had his own suite there. Yeah, exactly. Dennis Robert did. <laughs> he did have his own show uh, a few months back. Um, like, I forget the name of it, but it was, I think it was a 30 for 30 type, type show, which was, once again, a really good um, really good watch. But, yeah, it's funny how some of those, uh, you need those sort of, you know, rusty cogs to uh, to help, you know, the, the, the engine move, so to speak, um, Robin being one of them. Well, I can tell you the story that I want to hear, boys, and it's one that I read in Luke Longley's book. Have you boys heard it? No. Yeah. Bill Wennington. <laughs> <laughs> tell yeah. us. Bill Wennington, they tell this story, right? So you saw in, uh, I think, the, I don't know, it was one of the first two episodes where Jordan pulls up to the training facility in his Ferrari, right? Well, apparently, as the story goes in Longley's book, the Bulls were so popular because they were basically like the beat, traveling Beatles at the time. When they'd go on road trips, they'd land back in Chicago at like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. in the morning from road trips. And the and, and a lot of them lived on one side of Chicago, obviously probably the most affluent side. And it was a bit of a drive away from the airport. And the game that they had, so they're all so ultra competitive, was that they would race home and and the Chicago police would shut the freeways because it was so early in the morning to basically give these guys free reign to drive as fast as they could home. And so Jordan would have a Ferrari, Pippen would have like a Porsche and, you know, Ron Harper would have something pretty flash and, you know, probably um, Rodman probably just like, I think Rodman still lived wherever Rodman lived on underneath a bridge somewhere, I guess, but yeah. But Bill Wennington had like a camper van, like an RV, right? <laughs> and so what they did was they gave Wennington a start and his job was to try and block as many guys as he possibly could with his camper van on the freeway as they're flying <laughs> down. 
So camper van Bill Wennington would just go side to side on the freeway while the other boys tried to race around him like an obstacle. You know, he was like, we just had. I want to see if they talk about their races home after road trips. Oh, man. Longley that, spoke about it in his book. That's a game that didn't work so well for a few members of the Charlotte Hornets back in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, David West, wasn't it? Yeah, so. uh, it was Bobby Fields Bobby and Fields. David, David Wesley. Bobby Fields the one that passed away. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, oh. yeah. I've actually met Bobby Fields, but uh, not Bobby Fields. David Wesley. We we mentioned that on a previous show. Yeah, nice. Anyway, um, I, I, I I hear that story. Yeah, one um, one one thing that um, that I sort of uh, you know we obviously hear hear the story about Jordan's dad and and obviously his his murder was the reason for the first retirement. Uh, but delving back into his childhood in North Carolina, growing up was was quite interesting. Um, and I actually didn't realise he had uh, as many brothers as what he did. Oh, yeah. um, I knew he had one, but I didn't didn't realise he had two. Um, but Jordan's motivation to be, I guess, uh, and Jordan said it. He said, you know, like um, being sort of, you know, I guess, favoured or un- unfavoured to your older brother. Um, you know, in, in the eyes of your dad, uh, it was pretty crushing for him. Mm. Um, and his, his his brother was a better athlete at one point, um, and for him that that's where that early motivation to really go screw you, like I'm going to be better than you, and and that probably was, you know, in large part where it really all started for him, just that that intense desire to to you know prove yourself and you know to to be in the eyes of your dad, um, you know, worthy so to speak. There was stories of the brother wanted to do this and that and. The dad told Michael, you know, you can't do this, go inside, you'll never amount to anything. And yeah, yeah. To him he that's said a pretty you know, um that's a pretty interesting insight into the psychology that goes out up to make up who he is, right? Like he was obviously really yeah. close to his father once he had made it, and probably because he enjoyed so much that that admiration of his father that had come from what he'd achieved. So Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to draw a parallel with that point. Uh, and we're talking earlier about our, our, our group of mates and, and, and the hotly contested debates we have about who's the GOAT, who's the best, blah, blah, blah. Um, and a lot of this centres around, yeah, is, is it LeBron or, or MJ? And, and basically for me, that, that's who it boils down to. Those two are, in my mind, the, the two uh, best basketball players I've seen. Um, Jordan, the greatest winner competitor. Um, you know, LeBron being the most talented basketball player I've seen you know, in, in terms of a physical, you know, kind of specimen point of view. Is Kobe, Bryant, is Kobe Bryant a close third for you? Um, based on those on those factors and traits, pro- probably, yeah. Um, yeah. He, he's, he wouldn't be my most, you know, favourite player. Um, but, yeah, you probably have to have those three guys. And then I probably, in, in fairness, Jordan came after Magic. So my, you know, my... Um, I've only ever really seen highlight reels of Magic Johnson and haven't really seen too much about, you know, what he did. Uh, he obviously was, you know, won five MVPs or whatever it was and championships and the like and regarded as one of the greatest ever. But for me, he's probably not quite there on that list. What I wanted to say was um, Jordan grew up with this motivation as a kid, you know, wanting to, to, to prove to his dad that he was worthy. He, his, his competitive drive was basically, you know, born out of a rivalry with, with his brother. And that obviously shaped who he was and carried into, you know, how he competed as, a, as an athlete. LeBron, on the other hand, grew up an only child, had no father present. Um, and obviously we've seen earlier in his career, he, he fell, fell short, you know, in finals and, you know, uh, and, and so and so. So it got me thinking, wondering whether or not that sort of lack of desire to, to prove someone's worth to someone um, and that lack of drive not being in, in, in LeBron's young life had an adverse effect on him in, in the state of the early to the mid, mid part of his playing career. You do raise a point there. Cause I mean, I'll watch the lot. See my up there on my list is Larry Bird. Yep. Just and like his story and so on. His is a lot of things like motivation like that, as far as, well, I'll show you or, but again, I suppose he never really came out and said it. He just went and did it. Yeah. And um, yeah. Was he the most talented not really. He had a hell of a shot on him, but and there's the odd dunk of the, the great white hope, as you see, sort of on some of those highlight reels. But it's more so just getting in and getting it done. That yeah. yeah. And I think where was he? French Lick or whatever it was. French Lick, Indiana, mate. Yeah, and yep. pretty much just told, 
you know, you, you're from Hickville. There's no chance of you making it anywhere. And <coughs> I wonder what the hottest bird in French lick looked like. Probably, probably a lot like Larry looked like in most Larry, of the old Larry, 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 just longer blonde hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's probably Larry's older sister. Yeah. I, don't think gene, I don't think the gene pool is very deep in, in French lick. Yeah. But that's a good point. Like, I mean, the thing is, you know, we compared Jordan and we compare LeBron James. I feel like, like those two are the two most talented players I've ever had the privilege of, of watching, right? So yep, same, same. From a, from a talent perspective. I still don't think Jordan would compete as well in today's league. I think he's, his desire and will to win would certainly be there. But the physical size and physicality of the league, and I don't buy into some of the stuff that people say around how back in the day it was it was more physical or better defences or something along those lines. That, that's that just... That's actually physiologically not true. Like LeBron James is the size of Karl Malone, but can move at the same speed and, and athleticism as Jordan. And, Correct. And so, you know, it's it's actually just not physically possible for it to be a softer league these days. Of course, there's more rulings and the, and it's a bit friendlier for offensive players. And I get all of that. Um, but largely, I, I feel like Jordan's athleticism wouldn't have stood out as much today as it did then, right? Um but but at the same time, LeBron James is only who he is because being being Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan showed how lucrative it was to be Michael Jordan, right? Yeah. Because of the fact that he took the NBA from basically being the unprofessional league you see it is in the documentary when he was in his rookie year, and and basically then made it this multi-billion-dollar industry, then. Guys like LeBron and, and and the fathers and mothers around the world wanted their kids to go and play it. And so it's why we now genetically have these athletic gods that play this game, right? Like rather than yeah. playing a different game that they then pick up a ball as, as a kid or something along those lines. So, you know, like I, I don't really want to decide who the goat is. I want to just be thankful that there was a Jordan. Because there was a Jordan, that means there's a LeBron and because there's the LeBron, that means there's going to be a someone else, you know? Yeah, yep, you're right. Yeah. Um, they're all very valid points, and I agree on every one of them. And, and, and I do think, uh, you know, that the physiological example you, you make about 90s basketball, what I will say about 90s basketball is the guys may have been tougher, like more, more thuggish, and I definitely think they had the ability to foul harder. So, you know, when they talk about today's game being soft, um, I think that's mainly a reference is the player's ability to to take a foul, mm. um, you know, from the 90s. Um, they could probably take a foul a bit harder than what our, our, our current day players can. But in terms of skill and, you know, athleticism and longevity, all those things, you know, the modern day player has it all over him. Um, what do you make of Kevin Durant's comments that Jordan would come into the league today and be the best player in the league? Obviously, oh. you, you pretty much just, just disagree with that point earlier. Yeah, I just think I look. I I think it's a nice it's a nice nod of respect from someone like Kevin Durant to acknowledge that Jordan, like today's players, should be a good friend of ours, who's been on this show. Joey Morgan raised this point in a group chat that we had, that that, that the players of today should be very thankful for Jordan and what he did because that's why their pay packets are, are so full today, right? So yep. it's a nice it's a respectful acknowledgement from Kevin Durant for the history of the game that he plays. Um, but but I but I don't actually agree with it. I mean, like I I believe that Jordan would be some of the like one of the top players in the league. But just yep. he's like the the physical talents that he had just wouldn't stand out as much. Like yeah, you're right. Seven foot like point guards, you know. So look, I mean, it's it's ridiculous to make that argument. It doesn't just doesn't make sense. Yep, yep, hundred <clears throat> percent. You know, and and obviously, you know, modern day players would translate better to a 90s game uh, where, where, as you said, you know, def- defences were work. Players were tougher, but they were, they were slower. You know, defensive reads weren't as good. You know, and, and, you know, a lot of people go, well, you can't compare because it's different. And, you know, but it's definitely human nature to compare and look back. And, uh, and so, no offence, although I want to hear the story about him, I'm not so sure. This is the thing that makes me judge the different areas. I'm not so sure Jordan might have been a success in today's NBA. Bill Wennington, probably not, right? And so 
the depth in the league today is much different to what it was when Jordan's teams were dominating. And so, oh, yeah, if, if you look at some of the tail end of those rosters, there's some horrible names, Jack Haley, Judd Bushler, hmm. um, you know, um, some real just, you know, Jason Caffey, some real stinkers that, that you know, would have no, not even a chance of playing in the NBA now. And because Jordan and, and Pippen made it so lucrative, then there are more talented guys that might not get to their level, but are certainly better than the Butchlers and the and and the Jack Haley's and those guys. And so, so honestly, it just it baffles me that people would would suggest that that today's league is nowhere near as good as what it used to be. And I mean, yeah. the, game, the game evolves as well. And I mean, you look at the the draft and. Um, when Jordan gets drafted and Bill Walton goes, oh, is he seven foot? No, well, you don't need to worry about him. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, yeah, if you're seven foot, your job was to jump, put it in yeah. the basket, that's it. It was funny It's funny when Jordan got drafted and uh, Mark Eaton, who was a seven foot four center, he was pretty you – know, he, he, he had his moments where he was pretty decent. He came out and he said, I just don't think a guy like that can be effective. Um, yeah. You know, Walt Frazier, who, who was a Knicks legend, you know, a two-guard himself, Kind of said, you know, a guard can't be the best best guy on his team, mm. uh, you know, and he, he was a you know a bit of a noted legend himself. So it's funny how how things have changed, and it was you know basically Jordan who who changed you know basketball from a big man league to you know where it was dominated by guards for the best part of 10, 15 years. Mm. You know, the other thing that I noticed, and I, I probably already knew this, but maybe I just didn't recall it. For all the money that he earned, Jordan still never really found a pair of jeans that were right sized for him. <laughs> like back in the day, I didn't I forgot about the nineties and how big big everything was. Like here's a big jacket, here's a big pair of pants, man. Like there must have been some big ass jeans with a lot of denim. Like, well, I'll tell you what, you know, everything's tight clothes now, but fashion is cyclical. So there there may come a time again where the baggy look comes back. That and suits. I've never seen so many baggy suits. Yeah. Baggy suits, yeah. But you know what also cool? Jordan wearing his backwards berets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when he goes to France, it's like the guy who goes to Texas and wears a cowboy hat. You look yeah, like yeah. a fucking dickhead. What are you doing? Put some spurs on the boots. Yeah. He's, he's wearing his he's wearing his, his tracksuit and he's just uh, rocking around Paris in his beret and his bulls tracksuit. Um, you know, Samuel L. Jackson may have laid claim to the uh, the, the the beret beret thing after that. Anyway. Interesting. What do you guys make of it? I mean, another thing that probably was lost on me a bit, um, and obviously because it was well, well before my time, was Jordan's time in college, you know, uh, making the shot in 82. Um, obviously knew that he went to North Carolina, but I actually I didn't realise, I mean, obviously I knew that he won that championship, but I didn't realise that, you know, he was touted as coming in as special, but then they then he kind of just unlocks something, you know, and they're like, oh, this guy's good. Another cool line from the um, the show that I, I quite like was from James Worthy, who was said, you know, Jordan came in and I was better than him for two weeks. <laughs> and then they go on to win the championship and then Worthy's actually picked number one that following draft by the Lakers. Yeah. Um, this, yeah. Is, this is probably Streety where I start to feel like romanticism comes into this, this doco, right? Like... I, from what I, the other parts of, of the history of all of this that I have read or watched or whatever, Jordan wasn't considered a lock at number three coming out of North Carolina, right? Like, and that's the reason that he got picked at number three and not at number one. And, yeah. and at the same time, when he first arrived in Carolina, yeah, he was, you know, they said, oh, well, we just knew immediately that we had this superstar or whatever. That's, I think that's a good thing to tell a documentary crew when they're in your living room and you're looking back on a career where he's been the greatest player of the game, that it, mm. it would make him look like a bit of a fool to go, mate, actually, I thought he was a bit lazy. I thought he was a bit skinny. You know, I didn't really think he was going to make it. But, you know, so they hint a little bit at, you oh. know, the fact that he needed to work his ass off and all that sort of stuff. But I still think people are remembering it with rose-coloured glasses. Yeah. And, the well, the high school coach did, did lay it out and say, no, I dropped him because... Basically, he was shit and didn't yeah. have the skill, didn't have a shot. And then, but there was one coach though, and that's the footage from the 80s. And he said, This guy will be the best. Who was the coach? And he said, Yeah. Um, yeah. And he just basically said, This guy will be the best player in the world. Yeah. When you went to high school, uh, you know, through year eight through year 10 or 12, was there anyone that you ever went to school with 
that grew six inches over the school holidays. Because no. I feel like all these guys, all these, all these guys and these, all these basketball players, no. oh, he came back this after the summer and he grew in six inches. You're like, yeah. there's no yeah. white guy on the frigging planet, <laughs> no kid that's gone to a school in Australia that's grown six inches over school holidays. No. And admittedly, yeah. the American summer's three months, ours is six to eight weeks, but still. Yeah. I was going to say, I've got some footage and a uh, friend of the show, uh, the, the Melmoth boys, because uh, I went to school with Daniel. In year seven and eight, I've got photos. We were the same height. Oh, really? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, now, admittedly, that wasn't over a school holidays, but I think I shrunk. And uh, (laughs) yeah. But that's where, again, I feel like that's the romantic part of the story, right? Is that over a summer he grew. I I feel like, mate, that's probably a stretch. Maybe when he left campus, he was 6'2, you know? And then when he came back, he was 6'5. But like, you know. And, and, you know, it's, it's not. That, you know, it's an American thing to fudge heights. It's been happening forever, and it's only only now that they've just actually giving guys. And they come out and said, "We're going to give legit measurements now." It's like, why can't you do that from the start? Yeah, you know, I, everyone, I, everyone, everyone knew Barkley wasn't six foot six. <clears throat> six no. I don't know what they're talking about. I'm six three anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> mate, I don't know what you're talking about. You've shrunk, mate. I mean, I've towered over you by three inches. For ages. <laughs> <laughs> so. It was a pretty good college final. I mean, um, <laughs> good college final that year. James Worthy was number one pick in 82. Jordan went uh, third in 84. And then the following year, Patrick Ewing, who played in that final um, against Jordan and, and uh, Worthy, going number one in 85. So um, not often you'll see that in the college final these days. The, well, footage, that I, the footage that I saw that reminded me of exactly how badass a player Scotty Pippen was so actually, sorry, that's probably the point that I wanted to raise in this particular episode too. Don't forget, when Scotty Pippen arrived on the Bulls, he was an absolute pussycat. And Jordan, and it was alluded to slightly in the second episode, Jordan bullied the shit out of him to make him as tough as what he was. Right? Well, I think Oakley gave him a fair slap as well. He did. Yeah. And, and, and Pippen to the point of almost, it was mental degradation to the point of him almost quitting. And yeah. And the Pippen came in, he said, I, I came in cocky, but they saw him out real quick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. When they did, man, and Pippen blossomed into what he was, he was a badass dude, man. And and the thing that epitomizes that for me is, in my whole life of all the basketball footage I've ever watched, the meanest dunk on another person is Scotty Pippen yeah. on Patrick Ewing yeah. coming down the lane when he then stands over the top oh, of him. yeah. And, and then goes over him. to Spike Lee and tells him to sit the fuck down. <laughs> so do you know what happened today? If that happened today, Pippen again, oh. a te- technical foul for taunting. You're good. And, and then if you walked over to Spike Lee, you get another tech and ejected, you know? Yeah. That, and that, that's what we've got to cut out of the game these days. Yeah. And Spike, Spike Lee would put a, put a lawsuit against him as well for yeah. public <laughs> degradation. That whole sequence has just, like he comes in from the wing, a big old slam in his face, a big hang, so your balls just sit on the bloke's chin. Ewing goes down, who's seven foot tall, and then he stands over the top of him, and then to top it off, he goes over and tells Spike to sit the fuck down. Like, that that to me, like I just went, Scotty Pippen's my favourite player. I just love that footage. Yeah, see, I'm sidetracking here, but one of my other favourite ones, no, it includes the Knicks, was Shaq's dunk on old mate, and he just pushes him afterwards. And goes, oh, yeah. and Chris Dudley. And old mate blows up afterwards, pegs the ball he throw, at him. He, he throws the ball at him. <laughs> <laughs> Both players ejected. That's how soft oh. it's gone. Um, you talk about Jordan. Oh, sorry. sorry no, I was no, say, the, only, the only other other dunk that I remember probably so vividly was another dunk on Ewing was when, when Jordan was playing the Knicks in Madison Square Garden, and he was on basically in the – corner and he basically spun on John Starks and went baseline and dunked on Ewing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was that a game he had 55 in? I think it was, yeah. 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 I've, I've actually got a whole bunch of DVDs that I found in the cupboard on a clean out of all, you know, the Jordan era and the and Incredibles and that sort of stuff. So that's worth, it's worth a watch. Um, you talk about guys, um, you know, Jordan, you know, KD saying he'd be the best player in the league. I think it's fair to say that we both disagree with that. He'd be good, but not, not the best. Um, I probably would say that Scotty Pippen's game would translate better. Um, you know, he, he would be a great sort of player in the 2020s due to his size, athleticism, yeah. defense, everything. 
And his length, man, like his length. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest things, right? His wingspan, like hand size. That's why old fun guy like Nuggets wearing a shirt for to, tonight. Mate, Kawhi has hands like bloody, you know, like big screen TVs. Yeah. And for all those years, Pippen led the Bulls in assists and he averaged six, seven a game. Yeah. He, he was an incredible player. Um, underrated. Well, probably not underrated, underappreciated. Um, yeah. by, by management, but I guess loved by a lot of other people. Hey, you don't like it, don't sign the contract. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm there was some... I'm going to get a Krauss jersey. <laughs> <laughs> there are quite a lot of interesting um, almost Pippin trades that went on during that time. There was one in um, 94, just after the first three-peat. Uh, there was an offer, a deal in place with the Sonics, um, just as Sean Kemp was starting to blossom. Yep. Um, so it was a Pippin for Sean Kemp couple other guys trade mm. and then um Krauss in the documentary talks about a you know in the press conference you know oh you know we we, we, we can trade anyone and they're talking about you know scotty pippen he goes well yeah you know we we had some things that we were looking at that you know we didn't do but one of those trades was actually with the celtics mm. and it involved pippen going to the celtics and the bulls receiving a bunch of draft picks one one of a couple of players chauncey billups who was the third pick in that that 97 draft i think and then the year after was the Paul Pierce pick, um, who you know obviously Boston probably don't regret not ma- not making that trade because uh, that yeah. you know worked out for them uh, in the end. Um, yeah, it was, did, Pippen uh, ever, did Pippen get traded to Portland, or did he just sign as a free agent? So what happened was after that '98 year, um, so the Bulls won it, and then you know Jordan comes out, and you know I think after the first Utah win, he goes, you know, like. They want to talk about breaking us up. We, we should have the right to defend it until we lose. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of an impassioned plea that, you know, what, what are you guys doing? Like, we're, we're here to win and you, you want to break us up for what reason? Mm. Um, following that, that sixth championship was the lockout year. So oh, yeah, okay. that obviously factored into a lot of decisions. Um, and then over, Phil left. Uh, Jordan basically didn't have a team to go to and didn't want to play for anybody else. Mm. Uh, Pippen then actually done what Jordan could have done. Uh, he signed a deal with the Rockets. Oh yeah, okay. Um, Jordan and Barkley were good mates. Pippen didn't like um, Barkley's work ethic; thought mm. he was lazy. Mm. Uh, so he he signed a five year, sixty seven million dollar contract. I think it was wherever it was with the Rockets. Seventy seven. Uh, um, left after twelve months after lockout year, and then ended up getting traded. Uh, to the Blazers, and then he played four good years with them, and they were unlucky not, not to make a finals in 99 2000. Mm. Got knocked out by Kobe and the Lakers um, in game seven, I think it was. Yeah. Um, so you also forget that Pippen had a lot of bad blood with Phil Jackson because of the way that Phil Jackson treated him in the year that year and a half that Jordan went and played baseball. Yeah. Like, so you remember the conference finals, I think it was, where they went to Tony Kukoc for the game-winning shot and Pippen refused to go back into the game. Yeah, yeah. And ironically, Pippen was runner-up for MVP that year. The Bulls won, was 55 games. Yeah. Pippen averaged yeah. like 23, whatever, um, and then was second uh, in the MVP, second or third. I think that's the year Hakeem won it. And then maybe Ewing was runner-up or third or Pippen was second or whatever it was, but... Yeah, the Bulls lost that second round, but yeah, Pippen, you know, didn't have the the clutch factor, so to speak. Um, you know that that MG had, but certainly did did pretty well in his absence. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. probably one of my most iconic Pippen moments was uh, there's a moment of him sitting on the bench in a game, and he just he lifts his leg up, and he's wearing a pair of Jordans uh, with the red and the black stripes on the bottom of the sole. Yeah. And then he's just he's pointing, you know, come here, do that, and then uh, come back, and then then he came back the following year. Um, yeah, um, it'd be interesting to see what caused Pippin's trade request not to go through. Uh, mm. That's probably what I think may kick off episode three, yeah. uh, the, the third one, and just find out, you know, how how, how shit was revo- re- resolved, you know, who had to do what, who put what to the side, and you know. Um, when it all came, I'm sure I could read up on, on, on Wikipedia, but I think I'll just wait till Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. Any final comments, boys? Uh, no, only I am excited to see the next chapter of it all. But it's interesting. I, I tell you, I, 
the only final comment that I would have is by releasing this early, I hope that Netflix and ESPN don't run out of good content before isolation's over because I don't think there's a whole lot on the production room floor. Like, uh, you know, you can't really film or make much at the moment. So I hope we just haven't gone too early here. Yep, absolutely. Um, if Do you still have a current Foxtel subscription? I do, yeah. All right. So uh, last time we spoke about some uh, TV uh, recs, I found mm. a new show called Devs, D-E-V-S. <coughs> um, yep. Set in San Francisco. It's about a tech company, you know, going a bit rogue, trying a few things. It, it, mm. It's quite quite a good watch. So uh, aside from my Westworld call last time, get on to Devs. That's a good one. Um, that should uh, keep, keep you busy. Right. Um, but, you I'm know, a- um, I, I guess wrapping up the Jordan stuff, Nugget, you are going to say? Well, I was just going to say, I've only just watched the first episode of Ozark, so I've still got a long way. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I got good, pl- good I got, stuff. I've got plenty of TV to come. You've got, you got heaps to go. A um, mm. couple of things that have happened in the last couple of days, uh, we just read tonight um, that rugby, the rugby boss railing castle is gone. Yep. Um, the, yep. the, rug, the rugby com- of community of Australia are celebrating that a Kiwi goth queen um, who hates gays um, or, or loves gays or whatever it is? I've probably got that mixed up. She's gone. Um, but how many? How many? How big is the rugby community in Australia these days? 10, 20 people. I mean, there's plenty of doctors and lawyers out there. Probably all them. They, I think they've just gone closet. They've gone closet. So if any game's at risk of COVID, it'd have to be those guys because of their private school history and yeah. doctors. You know. And uh, the NRL are staunch on uh, making their return. We, we said we didn't think it would be likely they'd come back May 28, but they're looking like they're, they're actually going to proceed with that and relocate. Uh, I wouldn't be so quick to say that, Streety, because the Channel 9 have come tonight and said, actually, there uh-huh. is a broadcast deal in place and took another <laughs> shot at the NRL and just said they probably want to check themselves because that's not true. Well, there's, the, there's still Foxtel, right? Yeah, I don't know. What's, I think it's because Channel 9 are trying to strong-arm the league into signing an extension. And yeah. um, the current expiry of the broadcast deal is 2022. And I think Channel 9 are trying to use this as leverage to basically say you need to re-up for a three, three more years after that at a cheaper price. So, you know, I think there's still a lot of water under the bridge before we see the NRL kick a ball again, mate. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, training supposedly uh, due to start on May the 4th. Well, I'm still um, saying that it's not happening. You're going to go with not happening? Okay. Yeah. Well, you you did say the Olympics would not go ahead full stop and wouldn't be rescheduled. Yeah, so that, was a bit, I, that was a bit presumptuous there. So I, once again, are going to differ on your opinion. I'm going to say the NRL will happen, but whether it, how good the product is uh, at the end remains to be seen. Mate, right. it's a house of medical cards. As soon as someone pops a positive test... The whole thing falls down. So. I think they're hanging on the hat to the fact that these COVID-19 cases are, are starting to flatten. You know, the curve's been flattening. Cases are dropped. Um, but these but, idiot NRL players are not going to self-isolate. No. No. And, and you know, like the, the, the thing for me is, like, you know, I, I think whatever this, this health crisis is, you, you have to sort of get past the second wave because, you know, there's always something's going to follow, you know, once everything happens well, initially, so... Well, it's like kissing an ugly woman after you've been married to a glamorite, Strudy. That's what you said, isn't it? <laughs> that was the analogy. Chicago <laughs> Bulls into the Washington Wizards. <laughs> so oh, very good. We're waiting for the Washington Wizards moment in uh, this COVID nineteen situation. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder when the documentary of that will come out. The walk of shame from Jordan. <laughs> Can you imagine all the all the sports docs and all the you know all, all the, the the massive stream of stuff that's going to come out in the next eighteen months or two years about you know all all this stuff that went down during the the pandemic and the you know yeah yeah absolutely because you you know you know TV shows and series just follow pop, you know what happens in real life and they turn that into popular culture you see it amongst you know Iraq oh. Afghanistan themed war shows now it's just going to be you know uh, disaster pandemic based dramas. You know, sports docs on on, on what D Wade did with his wife Trump. during the lockdown and Trump. <laughs> I don't think that's a documentary. <laughs> uh, Trump Trump yeah. will bring out his own how yeah. I defeated the virus. <laughs> <laughs> He's only basically 
the only difference between him and Kim Jong Un is a couple of more independent media outlets. <laughs> so. is, is, wasn't he on desk door, Kim Jong Kim Jong Un? Uh, apparently, that's the rumor going around. He's apparently about to about to cark it. So coronavirus. Oh, they reckon it's heart problems, but I reckon surely it's corona related. So, <laughs> anyway. For sure. Well, you know, we we, we might see NBA uh, back in back in July as well. Um, they're talking about um, playing games. Okay. Across three braces, uh, places, you know, LA, Vegas, and also maybe Disney World, um, and just sort of playing games in small arenas, no um, fans, you know, uh, and having players basically do what the NRL wants to do is stay in the nearby hotels and, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how oh, come on, please. Imagine that hotel. Are you kidding me, are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, honestly. But I think, it, look, it's 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 honourable and admirable, these efforts, but come on, I just I cannot see it happening. I just don't see it working. But anyway, yeah. good luck to them, I think. But I mean... Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, go for give it. Us, give a sport of some kind. Anything's better than watching bloody people play video games. I caught a couple of those shows the other day on ESPN. I was like, I don't even know what's happening here. Oh, well, I, I, totally, I totally missed the horse one, so it doesn't seem like I missed out on much. No. Nah. I don't think you missed anything at all there, mate. And I lost interest in the uh, the video game yeah, one after we... about two or three minutes. I'm even just talking about the esports that's been broadcast, yeah. right? Like I watched a semi final or something the other day, but I just couldn't make out on the screen what was actually going on. I don't know. Maybe I need to be younger. I don't. Yeah, when you find out how to be younger, yeah, let me know. I'll, I'll go with you. Yeah, no. <laughs> all right, boys. Nice. Thanks for the chat. Thanks for chat, everyone. We'll be back, uh, no doubt, with the next episode to recap episodes three and four and we've got a couple of special guests in the pipeworks one of which we'll be talking to soon so for everyone out there you will hear from us in the not too distant future